I'm Grant Oliphant. This is We Can Be. On October 27, 2018, a lone gunman opened fire on worshipers at the Tree of Life Synagogue in the Squirrel Hill neighborhood of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, killing 11 people in what would become the deadliest attack on the Jewish community in our nation's history. I began to see police cars behind me, not thinking anything of it. There was one, there was a second one. By the time I got to Shady, there were ambulances racing we have breaking news from Pittsburgh's Squirrel Hill neighborhood where there's police activity there. It's still an active scene. This is near a synagogue there. Woke we up several... having my coffee, and I received a phone call from Merrill Ainsman. She had just heard that there was a shooting going on at Tree of Life. Three minutes later, I was out the door going to Tree of Life, and I have to tell you, till today, I'm not sure what I was thinking. My wife's phone rang, and it was a congregant at Tree of Life asking if we were in the synagogue where we generally are. The phone then rang a second later. It was uh, the current president of the congregation saying he was on his way walking to the synagogue and was told that there were shots fired inside the congregation. And that people were beginning to hear about this. They could hear the police cars and where could people go. I just told that individual, just send everybody to the JCC. We'll figure it out later. After about those first 15 minutes, I knew I had to make some phone calls. So I tried to call my wife. She was in services and didn't have her phone. Mm. So I left that horrific message. There's a shooting in Squirrel Hill. I'm okay. And I ended up a few blocks away on Shady Avenue, just down the street from the congregation, where there were blockades set up. Had the shooting stopped at that point? No. We were listening in to the police scanners. Three, seven, one, shot fired. Give me additional resources. Additional resources, third floor. We have eyes on the door. We have one operator hit. Seven, one, uh, suspects talking about uh, all these Jews need to die. My son, about 20 minutes into the event that Saturday, the 27th, and he sat down and he goes, it could have been us. It could have been synagogue. And he was right. And then he said, I bet you I know the people that didn't make it. And he was right about that as well. Members of the Tree of Life Synagogue conducting a peaceful service in their place of worship were brutally murdered by a gunman targeting them simply because of their faith. That was Rabbi Ron Simons, the Senior Director of Jewish Life at the Jewish Community Center of Greater Pittsburgh and Brian Schreiber, President and CEO of the Jewish Community Center, along with Jeff Finkelstein, President and CEO of the Jewish Federation of Greater Pittsburgh. These three leaders helped guide the community through what Pittsburgh Mayor Bill Peduto would later call Pittsburgh's darkest day. Squirrel Hill is my neighborhood. 40% of the population of Squirrel Hill is Jewish, and one-third of the Jewish population in Greater Pittsburgh lives in Squirrel Hill. It is an inclusive, open place where signs welcoming immigrants and embracing Black Lives Matter are common. But on this day, the entire city seemed to stop. What does it take for a community to get through a moment like this? 
And how do they find the strength to face the trauma of the months and years that come next? In part one of this two-part episode, I'll be in conversation with the Jewish Federation's Jeff Finkelstein. Jeff came to Pittsburgh via Massachusetts and Baltimore, and for the past 14 years has served as the president and CEO of the Jewish Federation of Greater Pittsburgh. The Federation was founded in 1912 and has served as a centralized fundraising body for organizations that service needs of the Jewish community in Pittsburgh and around the world. Jeff is both a Squirrel Hill resident and a friend, and it is my honor to welcome him to We Can Be. Jeff, thank you so much for being here with us. My pleasure. You and I have been friends for a long time. We've gotten to see each other in the community and how we work. I will say up front, and I'll come back to this during the questions, that I was awed by you, um, A-W-E-D, in your handling of a just cosmically difficult situation. I want to talk a little bit about that today. But let's talk a little bit about the Jewish Federation and what you do so we can nest this discussion and an understanding for folks of, of what it is that a Jewish Federation does. Can you say a little bit about that? There are about 150 Jewish Federations across North America. The commonalities of the Jewish Federations are they are the central planning body for Jewish communities in each of their communities. They raise money to support those needs. We do a lot, though. One of the things that is part of the Federation is our community relations work, where we develop and collaborate uh, relationships and work with other ethnic and religious communities. And it's important to note that those relationships came into play on October 28th as the Federation planned our major vigil where we had over 2,000 people inside and I think 2,000 people outside the building, the religious leadership from across every faith was there. We had those relationships before. So that's a piece of our work. And, and another important piece of our work that we put into place just over two years ago is a Jewish community security director. Our director, a gentleman by the name of Brad Orsini, 28-year a veteran of the FBI, over the last two years has done hundreds of trainings for thousands of people in the Jewish community um, to try to keep them safe and to try to minimize loss of life if anything, God forbid, would happen. And we actually know that that was the case at the Tree of Life congregation that morning. People's lives were saved. Because of the training? Because of the training. Um, Brad actually did a training the month prior at the Tree of Life congregation. During that training, a few things happened. One, he walked around the building and saw that some of the exits were blocked, and he had them unblock them because there needed to be places for people to get out in case something would ever happen. And he also advised, uh, people may not know, uh, Jews who are very observant won't use electricity on the Sabbath, on the Saturdays, and uh, that includes cell phones. And he actually advised the congregation that someone had to have a cell phone. If something happens, you need to be able to call 911. And that morning, Rabbi Jeffrey Myers had the cell phone, and he was the first call to 911. The police station's right around the block, and they were there in less than a minute and a half. So people at the congregation said that the training of run, hide, fight along with the cell phone, along with unblocking exits, save lives that morning. Such an extraordinary story that, 
And there are a lot of coincidences of what you might describe as coincidences of timing, but the fact that you had the training just a month before is really just good preparation and planning. Sad that you have to have that as part of the role of the Jewish Federation. But given what you've described about what the Jewish Federation does, it was natural that you would get the call that day. The only thing I can think of as an analogous situation in my own life was when John Hines was killed in a plane crash, and I had to immediately, in the wake of his death, along with the rest of the staff, flip into a mode of burial and a mode of commemoration, celebration, honoring. How was that transition for you? Once the shooting was over and they had captured the, this anti-Semite, a couple of us from the Federation staff, the JCC staff, Jewish Family and Community Service, made our way over to the JCC to start planning. And we were met there with a leadership from the three congregations as well. We divided responsibilities where Federation took responsibility for planning any mass community get-togethers, vigils. The JCC became the hub. The FBI actually set up offices there. And Jewish Family and Community Service, which has an expertise in providing mental health, took on that role. But we had to plan for the next day at 10 a.m., less than 24 hours after the shooter was captured, a security briefing for every Jewish institution. And we had over 100 people at the Jewish Community Center in Squirrel Hill to hear from the FBI and Homeland Security and our own Brad Orsini. And one of our main goals was building resilience. We needed people to show up again. We didn't want them scared away from coming into Jewish institutions. And one of the things that, that Brian Schreiber at the Jewish Community Center shared with me is that on that Monday, all but one family showed up for preschool. And that's what we were trying to get at, to try to get people coming back to as normal, and, and it's a new normal, but to try to get back to living their lives as, as possible. We also planned a major vigil on that night on the 28th, which was short and concise and emotional and made sure it was inclusive of all three congregations. It was a beginning of the process. And then we started working with, with some of the families on security for the funerals, for, with some of the families on security at the Shiva gathering where the mourners get together for some period of nights after the funeral and helping with some of the families to bring family members in. I mean, we just were trying to do anything and everything we could do to help the different circles of victims. Mm. There are nine families who lost people on that day. There are two more who were injured. That's a very tight circle who felt it the most. You have other people that were in the congregation that morning who hid. You have people who were in the parking lot. You have people who live nearby. And trying to make sure we were addressing each of those circles, again, to build resilience and so people could get back to some sense of normalcy. And so we want to help all of those people to get back uh, as, as quickly as possible. How did you shoulder that burden? I know you don't want to make it about you, and you never did. But I think all of us looking at instances in our own lives where we have to face tragedy and be in a position of responsibility wonder about this in each other. And how did you shoulder the responsibility that you had in that moment? I don't think I thought about it much. I just was on autopilot. And I had a great staff team 
at the Federation itself and, and with my colleagues at the other agencies. I put Brian Eglash on my staff. I said, you're in charge. He is the most organized, I, I like to say anal, but the most organized people I've ever met. And we put together a small core team of staff that led our efforts. And uh, we met every morning at 8 a.m. and every afternoon at 4 p.m. for the first couple of weeks to make sure that we were all working together as one team. So I think we put it together almost like a military operation. I don't know how I, how any of us got through it. Mm-hmm. but How did you care for each other in that moment, though? On, on the Monday morning, so two days after the shooting, we pulled the entire staff together. And that was really the first time where I publicly cried in front of them. Mm-hmm. It, it, I mean, I'm going to start tearing up now. It, 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 that was a very emotional moment for me. I'm not a public crier. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was me. It was just me being who I was at that moment. I said at the end, I'll take hugs. Anybody who wants to come up, line up, and I'll take hugs. And, you know, big grump with the staff. We just hugged each other. <laughs> but after that, we, we started doing lots of things for the staff. And there were lots of people and organizations who volunteered their efforts. We had massage therapists. We brought in different animals for people to pet. We had yoga in the, in the office. We wanted to make sure that our staff was being cared for as best as possible. We had people in the community providing food for us constantly because we were working nonstop. And we continue to do it till today. In fact, just this week, we had uh, an expert in stress management who ran three different sessions for our staff. We're going to continue to pay attention to that, much more so than we definitely did before October 27th. I just have to commend you for being willing to be real with your team and for allowing that authenticity to come back to you, too. That's terrific. You talked about the outpouring of support from the community and from the world. Is there any example of that that really stands out to you? Were there any particular moments where you really thought, boy, this is special? I'll mention a few. One, the United Way. Our friend and colleague Bob Nelkin at United Way actually helped advise the Federation a bit as we were working on some of these things. He opened up fundraising through the United Way to our efforts, and they raised a lot of money, and it was their leadership that did it. The Penguins, all of our sports team, but the Penguins specifically, when I saw the patches that they produced that converted the Penguins logo with a Jewish star behind it, it was really powerful. Eretov, ladies and gentlemen. On Saturday morning, the entire Pittsburgh community was shaken by the tragic shooting at the Tree of Life Synagogue in Squirrel Hill. We all grieved together. But we as a city are stronger than hate. The Penguins players, coaching staff, and ownership now ask you to join us in a moment of silence. 11 seconds in honor of the 11 lives that were lost. It was a real sign of solidarity. We see it still at the University of Pittsburgh on the basketball team. Their warm-up shirts still have that. I still see it all over town. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah the stronger-than-hate symbol. Mm-hmm. There, there are a number of examples like that. The, the food being given to feed all of us on that Saturday afternoon at the JCC came from local restaurants for free. That event we put on at Soldiers and Sailors, just about everything was donated. With thousands of people there... I actually think it cost us just a little over $1,000 in cash. Merrill Ainsman, our chair of the board, picked up the phone and called a contact, and we had soldiers and sailors for free. Mm -hmm. 
but the parking garage underneath it is owned by the University of Pittsburgh. And I picked up the phone and called Chancellor Gallagher. He picked up right away. He said, it's yours. There'll be no charge for anybody to use it. I mean, th- that's the kind of thing that happened. You actually wrote, and I want to get this right, you actually wrote uh, in the wake of this that acts of beauty and unity are the new normal. What did you mean by that? I think it really means what it says, just what people did. There are stories of people walking into stores. Actually, uh, Rabbi Wasserman, who's the rabbi at Shari Torah, heads a group called the Hever Kadisha. And this is a group of volunteers that do Jewish holy work in uh, preparing bodies for burial. Part of Jewish law is that you need to collect all of the body fluids and parts. It's, it's, it's a very difficult thing to do, and these volunteers did just beautiful work. Rabbi told me he was at Home Depot buying equipment. guy behind him said, Oh, I'm so sorry for your community's loss. Thank you. What what are you doing? I'm buying these things to go work in the in the Trio Life building. And uh, the guy behind him said, well, I'm buying it for you. Mm-hmm. And uh, he said, no, I have money that's raised. He said, well, then you'll use it for something else. And, and there are all kinds of stories like that. Wow. It's amazing. But let's be clear. This was an act of hate. And... I, you know, I think it's it's easy to gloss over that, but the gunman targeted Tree of Life Synagogue as an anti-Semitic act. He stated an intention, apparently, to kill Jews. Right. And for you to emerge with a sense that acts of unity are the new normal, how do you find that equanimity in yourself and in the community to be able to say that? Look, uh, acts of anti-Semitism are on the rise in America. There's all kinds of data, both from the uh, FBI and the Anti-Defamation League that backs that. But Rabbi Danny Schiff, who's our Jewish Federation scholar, wrote a piece that was published in the Washington Post. And he was relating it to Kristallnacht, the night of broken glass in Germany, first major incident against Jews there. And he said, here's the difference. At Kristallnacht, the government officials, the police, law enforcement, they did nothing. And look what happened here. You know, our mayor, our county executive, our governor, law enforcement at all levels, you could see it's a very different type of situation. And so, yes, anti-Semitism is on the rise, and I don't want to diminish that. At the same time, the way the community came together in support of the Jewish community, and I mean all aspects, were those acts of beauty. Is there a generic best way to help? Is there a way you would answer that question for most people in a circumstance where they don't know what to do? The easiest thing for people to do is to is to donate money and then hope there's a good process as we have at the Federation. I think each of the three congregations that have raised money have put together. Um, and that gives people flexibility to be able to respond, not just immediately, but over time. The fallout from this is not going to resolve itself in a few months. It's going to be years, if not decades. If you have specific skills, if someone is trained in trauma and uh, mental health related to trauma, that's a skill that can be used right away. And we had people like that who came in and helped out. We had chaplains who were trained in dealing with trauma, which is very specific, and there are very few people in Pittsburgh that had that training. They came in. They were of great assistance to us. But people who just wanted to come in, 
to stand in solidarity, to say we want to go to visit with the families, to, to understand these families in their little homes are overwhelmed already. I'm sure they appreciated it, by the way. I really do. But it's a lot for them in their time of, of grief. Yeah, one of the things we forget is that people in that moment can't necessarily process our caring and may not be ready to receive it. So that is an important lesson, and thank you for sharing it. The community, since this has happened, has talked a lot about how to prevent future acts of hate. And yet we're operating in an environment where acts of hate are on the rise and acts of hate targeting the Jewish community, also the black community, also other communities. When you think about working with the community to prevent future acts of hate against the Jewish community and other communities, what is the best way for us to do that? I think like with most things, there's no silver bullet. There has to be a multi-pronged approach towards this. So at a basic level, one thing we're working on is just the issue of security. In other words, there are going to be haters no matter what happens, and to make sure that there's security. And by the way, not just because of anti-Semites, but unfortunately that's the world we're living in now where there are, there are mass shootings, and to make sure that whatever the, the situation is, that we want to keep the people within our Jewish institutions as safe as possible. There's education. Part of the Federation is our Holocaust Center. And how do we teach the lessons of the Holocaust out in the community? Not to the Jewish community, out in the general community. Mm. We need to bring different groups together because, you know, I don't think this is an issue the Jewish community alone can, can work on. And as you said, hatred for different minority groups is out there. And if those groups can work together with other allies that care deeply about these issues, I think you can move the needle on it. We already do a lot here in Pittsburgh, and there's so much more we can do. Have you had conversations with other groups in this community about the agenda you have in common in terms of combating hate? Yes, we have a lot of uh, a discussion about that. You know, we've had a close relationship, you know, someone who I think has uh, really risen, who's been amazing, and, and really in the, since the shooting is Wazi Muhammad from the Islamic Center. Mm -hmm. Money should not be an issue. That should not be a concern, paying for a funeral or paying for medical costs. That's, that is not what should be focused on. It's about mourning right now. So the Muslim community, we started to raise some money. And since yesterday afternoon, uh, we've been able to raise over $70,000 for the community. We just want to know what you need. You know, if it's more money, let us know. If it's uh, people outside your next service, you know, protecting you, let us know, we'll be there. If you need anything at all, if you need food for the families, if you just need somebody to come to the grocery store because you don't feel safe in this city, we'll be there and I'm sure everybody in the room would say the same thing. We're here for the community. You know, working with people like that on these issues, it's gonna be really key for the future. And, and with other groups, the Sikh community had a vigil in memory of those who were killed. And, I don't think we had a very close relationship with the Sikh community before this, but now we're starting to build that. Mm. The African-American, the black community, we, we've worked with very closely, and they've been there with us, and we're going to continue to work with them here as well and collaborating on fighting hate, which Rabbi Myers from Tree of Life calls the H-word. He doesn't even like to use the word hate anymore. Really? 
you know, one of the things that I've always admired about you, in addition to being very focused on delivering on the mission of your organization, your work seems to be, to the extent that I'm expert in this, which I'm not, but it seems to be very rooted in Jewish tradition. And I'm curious if there's a any aspect of Jewish tradition that particularly has helped you in this journey over the last couple of months? You know, one of the famous quotes from the Talmud, one of the Jewish texts, which captures debates between rabbis about different issues. It doesn't mean everything gets resolved, by the way. It just captures the, the debates that they have, which is, I think, what a lot of people will say happens in the Jewish community, is that you don't have to complete the task but neither are you free to desist from it. In other words, we had a job to get done, and we're never going to get it done, but we got to work hard at it. And by that job, I'm talking about the healing of the community, the issues of fighting hatred long-term, the, the taking care of the security needs, etc., and making sure that uh, the Jewish community stays resilient and strong and uh, works with everybody else in this Pittsburgh region to accomplish these goals. So. I mean, there's those kinds of learnings that drive me all the time. In fact, that hangs in my office on my wall. That quote does. That quote mm-hmm. specifically. I, I imagine that that's central to the, your philosophy of, of how you promote resilience at a time like this. You, know, you started earlier talking about resilience and how that was the task almost from the beginning after the attack happened to help people get back to their regular lives. Is part of helping them to get back to their regular lives, helping them to deal with the fact that nothing will ever be perfectly resolved. There will always be a lack of safety. There will always be hatred. But the work is to try and end that. Yes, it's exactly right. Well said, Grant, as you mm-hmm. always do. Mm-hmm. Thank you. I didn't mean to steal the <laughs> the, the, the answer. But you know, I'm thinking about how long it will take people to heal. And I think we sometimes throw the word closure around as though that ever happens People emerge different from these situations, but let's just come back to the folks involved most closely. How are they doing? How are the families doing? I've spent a little bit of time with them since. I'll tell you from a personal perspective, the part that's going to be seared in my memory forever was that afternoon of October 27th, Federation Jewish Community Center, JFNCS, Jewish Family and Community Service, and synagogue leadership, all working in the boardroom at the JCC to plan out our communal response. While just the floor below, those families had gathered, waiting to find out whether their loved ones were killed. And it, it was the most horrible thing I've, I've experienced, I think, in my life, because it took hours before the medical examiner and the FBI could release the names because this was a federal hate crime and they were going through a thorough investigation. The worry, the anger, the, the tears, uh, it, it, it was horrible. You know, I think each family's doing differently, trying to figure out where to go. There are, remember, there are also two people from the Jewish community who were injured. They're both doing okay. You know, I think it just depends on the person and on the family and on the situation and the circumstance. They're all coping in their way. And for them, this is never going to leave them. They're not going to, quote, recover from this at all. And how about the larger Jewish community in Pittsburgh? I think it's mixed. One of the things that happened in the few weeks right after the shooting, Jewish community came out, not just in Pittsburgh, but around the world. But, But in Pittsburgh synagogues were bursting at the seams on the Sabbath. You know, for better or worse, 
it's not bursting at the seams anymore, mm-hmm. you know, which I guess is a sense of normalcy. Mm-hmm. But people at that time were really looking for community. And they found it at their synagogues or at the f- things the Federation put on or the Jewish Community Center put on. And so I, th- I, I think many people are, are getting back to what I said before, a new normal life. But it's still in everyone's head. You know, when I drive by to the Tree of Life building, which I did twice over this weekend, it hits me. You know, when you see the fencing up all around it. It's shocking still. And I think I'm probably symbolic of many of us in the community. You know, I'm doing my regular work. Right. I'm talking to my kids who are in college at night. I'm trying to have a dinner with my wife once in a while. But it comes back to you. Mm-hmm. It really, And I think it's going to, for me and probably for many others, for a long, long time. What do you want, if there were one thing that you wanted the world to know about the Jewish community in Pittsburgh and about Pittsburgh, what would that be right now? We are a very unique Jewish community. We're a very unique, very tight community, and we know, a lot of us know each other, and that extends to Pittsburgh. This is a great city. It's growing. It's got uh, amazing technology businesses coming to town, but it's still a small town. And I think, frankly, that's what makes Pittsburgh special because it's through relationships that you can move a community, a city, and a region forward. And if you had one message before we conclude about that you wanted to convey to a world where hate is on the rise and and we're seeing divisions of all kinds, what would your message be to people that you'd want them to hear coming out of this? I think the number one thing is as our country and the world is, becomes more polarized politically, religiously, etc., to listen. Just listen to people. It's okay to disagree, but we have to stop being disagreeable and to respect other people's opinions and feelings and thoughts and to work together to make this world a much better place. Jeff Finkelstein, the name of this program is We Can Be, and we always like to let our guests say what that sentence should end with. We can be what? We can be more unified as a community. Unity, not uniformity. So we can be working together much better, but we don't all have to be the same. As our own neighborhood legend, Mr. Rogers says, when you see scary things, look for the helpers. You will always find people who are helping. Thank you to all the helpers. I am thankful that Squirrel Hill and our city of Pittsburgh has Jeff as a steady guiding hand. Jeff said that even months later, it comes back to you at moments when you least expect it. For those closest to what happened, I suspect it will never go away and healing will be a lifelong journey. What we've just heard is raw and real, like the experience itself. But there is hope, and that hope comes in the form of people like Jeff. Please join us for the next episode of We Can Be, as we learn of the unique perspectives of two other key community leaders who are also sources of hope, Brian Schreiber and Rabbi Ron Simons of the Jewish Community Center. They will conclude our two-part series on Pittsburgh's Darkest Day.